A small clay tablet found in the ruins of the ancient city of Babylon shows that ghosts and ghostbusters have been around for thousands of years. And then we travel to the United Kingdom to meet a shoplifter being pursued down the street by a security guard. When he turns and finds himself down a dead end, he thinks all hope is lost. But then the world got weird. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having tons of fun. Hope you're not shoplifting as you're listening to this podcast. But someone I know who never will shoplift from me coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now is one of our newest supporters of the show. Give it up for Rebel McKay. Woo! And we'll give a big round of applause. <laughs> She's stealing all my stuff. No, put that back. Rebel, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally get it. Just help spread the word about the show. That helps out so much. That really, really does. Rebel McKay, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out to the British Museum in Britain. The reason why we're over the British Museum right now is that we want to take a look at a little tablet. We could have shown up as tourists. We could have just taken a taxi and shown up. But instead, we're going to rappel down. We showed up at 3 in the morning. We're going to rappel down from the Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Break a window. We we traveled so quietly, and then we made the loudest noise. We're going to take a close look at a small little tablet that is currently being held in the British Museum. So we're walking around, we're on tippy toes. You dressed in all black, right? You have a ski mask when you listen to this podcast normally, right? We're sneaking around in our sneakers in the British Museum, and we come across this little stone tablet. Now, this stone tablet was found in the ancient ruins of the city of Babylon. There, You had these guys with, like, toothbrushes dusting off dirt. They're like, go away, dirt. We don't want you anymore. And then they see, like, a part of a, a piece of clay, and they're like, that's what we're here for. So they keep swiping away the dirt, the dirt, and then they find this little clay tablet, and there's nothing on it. They're like, oh, <laughs> they just throw it away. It breaks. No, if you look at this tablet, it's about the size of the palm of your hand. There's nothing on it. But it, this is like some straight up Indiana Jones stuff. And I don't know if it was intended to be this way or just thousands of years have gone by and this thing's eroded away. If you look at this little tablet directly under the light, like, you know, remember Indiana Jones had all those mirrors set up so he could see an object? You're like, no, Jason, this is just someone who needs light to see something. This isn't super magical. Everything you need light to see. If you look at this thing directly underneath the light, you see a picture of a woman, like a little hieroglyphic woman, like doing the little Egyptian stance thingy. And then there's a man with his wrists bound following her. Now, we would just think that was some kinky Babylon sex thing, right? No, you're, you're wrong, you pervert. Why'd you even think that? What this is, is this is from the year 1500 BC, and this is an exorcism guide. What they figured out was that this, there's some writing on it too. It wasn't just the two pictures, right? Because then otherwise, these archaeologists are really bad at their job. They're like, oh, that's obviously a ghost. There's writing on it, and it tells you how to get rid of a ghost out of a house. This is one of the oldest pieces of evidence we have of people believing in ghosts. 
And I talked about recently on an episode, we were talking about our ghosts eventually going to disappear. And while I was doing that, I was looking at what are the earliest origins of the ghost? And really, and like I said on the episode, every culture, every single culture on planet Earth has some variation of a ghost. And this is one of them. In the ancient city of Babylon, ghosts were considered such a problem that you needed to have exorcists. Now, this was actually, they said like this would have belonged in someone's library because they didn't have books back then. They didn't have pages. Your library would just be a bunch of pieces of clay, I guess. So you'd like walk in, you're like eating dinner. You're like, oh no, man. You put you put my dinner on that? That was the history of our entire world. Aww. You had a bunch of clay tablets, so you would go and you would pull out the clay tablet you wanted to read that day. I, I can't imagine there was a ton of information on it. It's like the size of the palm of your hand. But you pull it out of your library, or they're stacked up like dinner plates or whatever, and you just read it. And they said this one would have been in like a really like wealthy person's library or personally belonged to an exorcist because this was not like just a common thing. It wasn't like a cooking recipe or something like that. It was how to get it was how to send the souls of the damned back to hell. So we know what the spell is. They've actually translated this, and this was the first, and I might argue most authentic way to get rid of a ghost, because it was the first, right? You figure over time people are kind of like adding like their own little fan service to it, and they're kind of adding like different ways to get rid of ghosts. You if you you figured you want to go back to the very first time someone had to get rid of a ghost, that probably worked, right? So anyways, we have this, and this is how you do it. First off, you get two little figurines. You get a male figurine and a female figurine. Then you get two big old mugs of beer, right? Root beer, maybe, if you're sober. Actually, I probably wouldn't mess with this spell, right? You're like, oh, I don't think it matters if it's beer or if it's Orange Julius. Probably stick to the beer if that's what the spell calls for. And you wait until sunrise. I don't think you're allowed to drink the beer. The beer was just the exorcist. When he got bored, he's like, glug, 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 glug. Okay, now it's time. It had no ritual application. You have two figurines, a male and a female. You have two mugs of beer. And then it mentions a ritual to summon Shamash who is the Mesopotamian god who led people into the underworld. It doesn't tell us the actual ritual. It may be on there, and the British Museum didn't want to release the entire ritual because they thought people would be talking about it in haunted closets and causing the end of the world. It could be that the ritual was so common or would have been common to the person who read the tablet because, again, it's the size of the palm of your hand. Like, it may be like, it may be like go back to the library and check out this book for the actual saying, but you say this ritual to the Mesopotamian god Shamash, and the soul that is plaguing you will enter one of the figures. And at that point, it doesn't really say what you do with the figure. I don't know if you treat him to a nice bath and a mug of beer. It actually, it actually never mentions the beer again, as far as I can tell, or at least the articles I read. But now you have this ghost trapped in this little figurine. And they're saying the picture on the tablet, it seems like it was a male ghost that was harassing people in this house. And it was following, like it used the woman as bait. And I think that's why they have the two figurines. 
So it's like, woo, it's like a Bugs Bunny cartoon. You have like a really sexy carved out woman with like big hips and big boobs. And you're like, look at me. Don't you want me to be your girlfriend? And the ghost is like, hubba, hubba, hubba. And he goes into the little male clay figure and then he's trapped. I don't know. I don't know if that's the exact spell, but it's something like that. They said the woman was actually putting him in bondage and taking him out of the house in some sort of ritualistic way. Super interesting. The very first exorcism spell we can look at. Like, this is the way to get rid of it. You got a ghost walking around your house. But there's one final line of text which shows that even back 3,500 years ago, people loved people loved to scare people. Now, this is really interesting. You're reading this tablet. It's late at night. You have your candle because it's all you have. Kids are gathered around and it's like a spooky Stephen King novel in the palm of your hand. The very last line of this tablet that's talking about taking a ghost and trapping him in a figurine. And this is the way you get rid of ghosts. The very last line it says, don't look behind you. And then, then you're like, you're like super scared. You don't want to look behind you. And you're kind of like flipping the tablet over. Why aren't I supposed to look behind me? Like, what's going on? And they don't know who who that is addressing. They don't know if that is addressing the exorcist. They don't know if that's addressing the person who's been plagued by the ghost. And they're telling them not to look behind them. They don't know. It literally just insane. Do not look behind you. That's creepy. Like That is a creepy way to end a spell or end some sort of exorcism ritual, right? Because you think, what? I'm already dealing with a, a lost soul, a human being who has died and trapped on Earth, and I'm sending him to the afterlife. That's creepy enough, and I'm looking, I'm looking at that. What's behind me? What am I being? You have such little room to talk about things on this little clay tablet. Most of it's these pictures. Why shouldn't I look behind me? That's creepy. Like, what could possibly be standing behind the exorcist? Spooky. Spooky stuff. I don't know if anyone's tried this ritual. I mean, obviously, people probably tried this ritual back in ancient Babylon. But I wonder if anyone has tried this ritual since then. I wonder if, like, all the eggheads at the British Museum, they do have, like, their Halloween parties. And they're like, come on. Come on, Clay. That's what, that's what they're all named because they're archaeologists. And their parents didn't really have good name-making skills. They're all hanging out at the museum, and for Halloween, they perform these rituals. And who knows? And then, like, don't look behind you, dude! And then, like, the some one of the other guys is dressed up in a sheet. He's dressed up as a mummy! He totally unwrapped King Tut! He's walking around in these 4,000-year-old bandages. Look at me! I'm King Tut! Everyone bow before me! It's, like, super stinky. Super stinky costume. So, who knows? I, I doubt they do that. I doubt they do that. But I wonder if anyone has tried performing this 3,500-year-old exorcism. What would happen? Would it be effective? And what's standing behind you while you are doing it? Rebel McKay, let's go ahead and toss you those keys to the world famous Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind the British Museum. We are headed all the way out to... Liverpool. So it's just kind of the same area. It's not a globe-trotting adventure this episode, but here are the keys. Fire that bad boy up. Leave behind this British Museum. The helicopter's in it. It's destroying all of their mummies, their precious mummies. Get us out of here. We're headed to Liverpool.
leaving behind a bunch of chopped up remains of ancient Egyptian rulers. We are now walking down the streets of Liverpool. Specifically, we're on Hanover Street. And the year is 2006. Oi! Oi! Come back, kid! Come back! A security guard says as he's running out of a store. And he's chasing a young man named Sean Davis. Oh, blokes! I'm gonna get caught! I'm gonna get caught! Sean says. Sean's a 19-year-old thief. This is how he makes his money. He goes in, he takes stuff, he runs around like Jason. I know what a thief is. I know what a thief is. But he he is in particular a shoplifter. There's different kinds of thieves. There's the cool thieves that like break into banks and they're like, give me all your money, or I'm gonna blow you away. And then there's like the clever thieves that like bring the stethoscopes. <laughs> they're just called doctors, they rip you off. They're like, I saved your life, that'll be a hundred thousand dollars, please. No, you know the guys who like are like listening to safes and stuff like that. Oh, I got, I got it. I got it. All the money. And then there's the thieves who like break into your house because they need crack. If you have all the crack, you're the crack dealer in your neighborhood. And they're like, jackpot. And then you've got low lowlifes. Shoplifters actually. Okay, I think the crack thieves are the worst. But shoplifters are so, they're just like the worst, right? I've worked retail my entire life. Shoplifters, you're like, oh, man. But anyway, so this is what Sean Davis is. So he's not a bank robber. He's not a safe cracker. He's not, He might be a crack addict. I don't know about that. But he's like the lowest of the low. He's the worst thief. He's running out of a store carrying some stuff that he jacked. And the security guard, oi, 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 is following after Sean Davis. Now, Sean Davis is running down Hanover Street. And he turns on Brooks Alley. Now, if you're familiar with Liverpool, which some of you may be, like one or two of you may be, you should know that Brooks Alley is actually a dead end. And so Sean Davis, oh man, ah, they're going to catch me, mate. He knows that the jig is up. So he turns around and he waits for the security guard to come around the corner and give him a good pummeling with his baton and then call the police. The guard was right behind him. A couple seconds pass, and then a couple more pass, and Sean just kind of catches breath. And more seconds pass, and nothing is happening. And then Sean all of a sudden starts to feel a pressure against his chest. And he says, I wasn't scared. I wasn't worried I was having a heart attack or anything like that. He goes, it wasn't coming from inside. He goes, I could feel... Pressure pushing against my chest from the outside. And I'm standing there, and I, I could tell the sensation was weird. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I'm still waiting for the security guard to come around this corner. And at this point, a minute or two has passed. And Sean knows full well that unless the, unless the security guard had a heart attack, he should be coming around this corner at any time. So Sean, after a couple of minutes starts to leave Brooks Alley. And when he reaches where Brooks Alley opens up into Hanover Street, the street has changed. He's seeing all of this at once, but he can't really make sense of the connections of things. First off, he sees the cars that are driving by seem much more old-fashioned than the year 2006. Well, maybe there's a collectible car convention in town. He starts to notice that the people walking down the street are also dressed 
in fashion that is not of the year 2006. Maybe there is a retro convention in town. Then he realizes there's no traffic lights down Hanover Street. And he goes, maybe there is a traffic light not having convention in town and they wanted to be part of it. They chopped down all their traffic lights. He realizes that what it looks like is it looks like he's in the 1960s. I don't know if they were specifically wearing like the bell bottoms and the groovy hair and all the cars were VW bugs, but he put enough clues together that this did not look like 2006 anymore. But he's from 2006, so he immediately pulls out his cell phone. And he notices that while his cell phone has power, he can't make a call. The cell phone is offline. So this young man's walking down the street with his cell phone, and he is definitely a man out of time. He realizes that he is 40 years in the past. And when this is going on, you would not be able to make sense of it. You would assume that that security guard is beating you so badly you're in a coma. I think that would be your first assumption, that you have some sort of brain damage, that you've gone crazy. If you find yourself living 40 years in the past, walking around seeing these sights and, and hearing these older automobiles and figuring out how in the world they're able to drive without traffic lights everywhere. And he's looking at his cell phone and he can't get it to work and he's walking down the street and he can't figure out what's going on. But he does know this. He wants to go back home. This is not his place. This is not his time. He wants to go back to the year 2006. And he's walking down the street, and he actually gets to a a building, a jewel, a jewelry store. One of the many words that I don't know how to pronounce. It was H. Samuel's Jewelry Store. And while he's there, he actually pulls his cell phone out again to test it again. He says, come on, work, work. And when he pulled it out of his pocket, it's working. And he looks up from his phone, and he looks down the street, and it's the year 2006. He looks in front of him, it is the year 2006. He sees the newer cars, the newer clothes. But he turns and he looks down the path he had been walking. He looks to where he had been. And when he turns and looks back to where he had been, the year is 1967. He clearly sees the older automobiles, the old clothing behind him. The path he took down Hanover Street is still in the year 1967. And then slowly, it begins to fade. And inch by inch, foot by foot, block by block begins to be replaced with the year 2006. Fascinating story. One, he has a cell phone. He actually took a cell phone, a modern piece of technology, back to the past. This is interesting. You know, we have a new type. Of, there's this big story in Argentina about this woman who claims that she got abducted by aliens and they dropped her off like 40 miles away, which there's a lot of stories like that. We're going to be coming up to one later, I think this week. The aliens are really bad about putting you back where they found you. It's a really common problem. 
And one of the things that the UFO researchers and the abductee themselves are talking about is they want the cell phone data. Because she had a cell phone in her pocket, which is a tracking device in your pocket. So Google Maps should show her going from point A to point B in too short of a time. Now, apparently, like, they have not been able to get access to that information, or if they just use the consumer site of Google Maps or Google Tracking or whatever it is, it's not giving them what they think it should. So there's actually been a push towards that. And we're reaching a point where we all have tracking devices on us at all times. So these stories where aliens abduct people and then drop them off in another location, they get far more tricky. And that's the same thing with this young man. He has a cell phone in him, and what he is going through is a time slip. And he knows that because he walked up to a newsstand and looked at the date on the newspaper, and he was in the year 1967, specifically May 18th, 1967. And this is absolutely fascinating. The time slip story we covered uh, last week the only piece of modern technology they had on them was their automobile. But now you could whip your phone out. Now, the phone wouldn't work in the past, right? That is a detail that would make sense. There's no cell phone towers to bounce it off of. The phone itself, it has power. It would show his date in 2006. But the newspaper and everything else was showing he was there on May 18, 1967. The other interesting part of it is that visual trick. Right, where he's looking back and he's watching time fade back. Now, you could argue, again, that he was having some sort of brain aneurysm or some sort of vision fit, like something's not working right with his vision. The idea of it slowly, like looking back and still seeing the vibrant 1967 world and then watching it slowly fade until it became his modern-day world, that's an interesting visual glitch. I remember once I was driving down the road and I realized the world was upside down, but it was only in front of me. I was still right side up, but everything in front of me was upside down. I think I've told this story before. The road that I was driving on was beneath me, but the road ahead of me was in the sky. And all the cars were driving in the sky. It was like if you took the world and then flipped it over and then lifted it up about 30 feet. I had been driving like that for a while. And once I, I, I don't, for who knows how long, but I remember going, wait a second, the world shouldn't be upside down. And right when I thought that, it was like someone hit a swivel and the world actually went teeter-totter and then spun back into place. So now, and all the cars I saw in the sky upside down were actually were spaced perfectly as I was driving. Like when the world went teeter-totter and then flipped back over like someone hit a mechanical switch and it just went... And when it folded back into place, again, it had a little bounce. There was a real physical presence to it. It was that was was so interesting because if you do hit like if you have a teeter totter and you hit it, it will wobble a bit. Each time it moves, it'll wobble a bit. So it wasn't that I just saw the world upside down and then it was bam, back to being normal. It had a weight to it. It had a physics as it was spinning. When it began spinning and when it stopped spinning, it had a bit of a wobble. I always figured you're like Jason, please go to a brain doctor. That's totally abnormal. I always figured you know. 
um, we see things upside down. Our eyes actually perceive everything upside down. Our brain fixes it. So we see it right side up. I was thinking I was so relaxed in that moment or so lost in thought. What I was seeing is what the world would actually look like if our brain wasn't automatically correcting it. That's what I always felt was going on. But yeah, so when there is a weight to things, if he looked down the street, it still would have been an interesting story if he looked down the street and it was just 2006. But I, the idea that it was slowly correcting itself, like the place he had been was still 1967. But now that he was in the year 2006, it was slowly correcting itself, fading away. Fascinating. But here's the thing with this story, right? It's a time slip story. I love time slip stories. We just covered one last week and I don't want to go too heavy on them. But this one has some inter more interesting stuff to it. It was reported in a website that we go to all the time on this show. It's a great website. I recommend it to people. It's called Anom Alien. It's, I know you guys aren't going to be able to spell that. It's in the show notes. You can find the link in the show notes. I got all my information for this story from that website. And that's part of the problem. There is no one else talking about this story. No one. The Anom Alien website does state that there was a local newspaper, which could be like a, a very small newspaper somewhere in Britain, because, you know, they have like city papers, and then sometimes they even have papers smaller than that, like neighborhood papers. But they said that paper, a very local paper, talked to Sean Davies about this story. They wanted to know about this story, and, and apparently, according to a non-alien, which they didn't link to the story, I wasn't able to find it, but they said they actually were able to verify some of the stuff he talked about was around back then. I guess they didn't have traffic lights. I guess some of the stores that he mentioned walking by existed back in the year 1967. And, according to a non-alien, this newspaper contacted the security guard... And he attested, oh, yeah, mate, I do remember that. I remember that like it was the year 2006. He goes, I was chasing this guy out of the store, and I was right behind him, just a couple yards behind him, and he turned down Brooks Alley. And when I got to the alley, he was gone, and I could not figure that out because that's a dead end. We All of this is resting on the word of a non-alien, which is a really good website. I wasn't able to verify any of this stuff, but I wanted to wrap it up like this because I was able to find something. While I was looking up to see if I could find any other source on this story, I was typing in things like Sean Davies or Sean Davis, however you pronounce it. I've done it both ways. Sean Davies, Hanover Street, Sean Davies, Liverpool. I'm trying to look for any other mention of this. Sean Davies, Time Slip, all that stuff, right? Nothing was coming up except for this Anom Alien article, but I did find an interesting little note. In 2010, in the year 2010, there is a town uh, called Dudley in the United Kingdom. It's about an hour and a half, an hour and 50 minutes around there from Liverpool. There was a young artist living in Dudley, and a local drug dealer stabbed him. Stabbed him pretty violently. I, mean, I don't know if there's a peaceful stabbing. They're like, oh, it's kind of like a hug. Except for the part where the blade went in between the ribs. He stabbed this artist and it actually like severed some nerves and he now has like a shaky hand. He would they say he has a very distinctive brush stroke because his hand shakes a little bit because he got stabbed. And that artist's name is not Sean Davies. Tricked you. 
the stabber, the drug dealer who carries around the knife, which is about the, the best as a weapon as you can get in the United Kingdom. There was a drug dealer named Sean Davies who stabbed this guy in 2010 and was sent to prison for it. And he did seven years in prison and he got released in the year 2017. Now, could that be the same Sean Davies? The timeline would kind of match. He was a thief in 2006. Maybe he worked his way up to being a drug dealer. <laughs> He's like, I finally stole enough stuff. I'd like one drug, please. And then the drug dealer sells him one drug. And then he's like, aha, I'm going to break this into smaller drugs and sell those. And then he stepped up his game and became a drug dealer. It's quite possible. It's also possible <laughs> there's multiple people going by the name Sean Davies, right? That's definitely possible as well. But when I was looking at this, there was, I, it probably was this guy, right? Shoplifter. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe it's a stretch, but a shoplifter in Liverpool maybe becomes a drug dealer an hour or two away. There were a couple other people named Sean Davies in the UK, but they had like LinkedIn, <laughs> like LinkedIn pages and stuff. They're like managers of firms and stuff like that. I was like, I don't know, I probably that is a probably different Sean Davies. But I thought this was really interesting. I think this is a great way to wrap this up. We, whether you believe in the paranormal or not, we as Dead Rabbit Radio family love the paranormal you may not believe in it but we have an interest in the paranormal and that comes along with wanting to experience the paranormal right i've had a lot of really cool and a lot of scary stuff happen to me i've never had a time slip i figured that would be awesome i would think that that could be life-altering and i think a lot of people would think the same thing would be a i, I rank it up there almost with a life after death scenario like i've seen ghosts and demons and stuff like that but to go back in time, like, I think that it, that it, it, that's everyone's dream. That's why we have things like a retro wave. That's why we get nostalgic. And if you could go back in time, you could relive those things. Time slip would be awesome. But the interesting thing is, like I said, I've had a lot of paranormal encounters. I've had stuff that other people may like, whoa, dude, you like saw a demonically possessed person and the, the world keeps spinning around and you're driving a motor vehicle? That seems like that'd be life-changing. That seems like then you would totally believe in the paranormal and if demons exist, then you must know that God and angels exist and laugh after death. And I'm like, yeah. But it's, <laughs> it's not a time slip. I didn't get to go through a portal. Like, it's not super life-altering. And I think that's what the story... If this is the same Sean Davies, it shows that these events that we read about, that we discuss on this show, they're not... To, to the people who go through them, life goes on. Like, to us, it's a really cool segment that we can talk about and analyze on the podcast. But to Sean Davies, in the real world... If this happened, he shoplifts, he runs down the street, he ends up in the year 1967, he wants to come back, he comes back, then what? Maybe, maybe, if it was a profound enough event, he could have turned it into a career as an author. And even that, you know, doing the speaking circuit and stuff like that, even that you have to have the skills of public speaking and writing to begin with. And those aren't easy skills if you just don't have a knack for them. So you have this profound, you travel back in time. And you're there for a, a, a while. But then you come back and you're still a thief. You're still a member of the lumpen proletariat. You're the underclass. You're a shoplifter. 
And so he continues that life with now he has a really cool story to tell his buddies, right? But he's still a shoplifter. Still a thief. Still a criminal. And he goes on with his life, and eventually he ends up becoming a drug dealer, and he stabs this young man, and then does seven years in prison, and just disappears into the British underworld. <laughs> or, or he got a LinkedIn page, but statistically speaking, right? Just because you have the profound event, just because you have proof that the paranormal exists on this scale, time travel exists, doesn't mean your life's going to change at all. It may become an interesting anecdote. So it may not be that ultimate profound life-changing experience when you find out that alternate universes exist, that there is life after death, that time travel is possible. These things are great stories to tell, but do they change your life? In Sean Davies' example, maybe not. Maybe he continued down that path that eventually led him to stabbing a man and doing seven years in prison. Maybe Sean Davies shouldn't have tried to outrun his trip to the past. Maybe... Sean should have accepted this moment in time, accepted this gift from the universe, a fresh start, a new life, a chance to do things over again. Maybe our fear of the paranormal is actually a fear of change. So whether you are traveling down the street one day and you find yourself 20 years in the past, or you're abducted, <laughs> or you're abducted by a group of aliens, and sure, it may involve some probing, but they're offering you a new life on a new world. Maybe think twice about trying to get back to your own time period. Or think twice about getting that gray alien in a headlock while you kick another one in the kneecaps. Because while the unknown is scary, the universe may be doing you a favor. It may be offering you the gift of a fresh start in a new world. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>